we want to do is, I want to, I want to take you into the scripture. So open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to be there in a few moments. But I thought we'd start off with looking at some of the greatest rivalries of all time on TV and in sports. Now, you're going to recognize most of these people, I hope. And you're going to see, yeah, these are some of the greatest rivalries ever. For, for instance, if you were a kid, you know this one, Tom and Jerry, right? Jerry always got the best of, wait, Tom, wait, Tom's the cat, right? Yeah, Tom, yes. I, it's too early for me. So Tom is the cat. Jerry is the mouse. Jerry usually won, but sometimes Tom would win. One of my favorite rivalries of all time is Jim and uh, Dwight from The Office. If you've ever watched The Office, you know that from the beginning of them working together, they were always at each other. He ends up being the best man in Dwight's wedding at the end, but still, all the way up to that last season, they were always fighting against each other. And you have Newman and Jerry from Seinfeld. Every time Newman walked in a room, what would Jerry say? Newman! That's right. So they were rivals. And then going to sports... You have Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. I don't think I have to explain what happened there. In the Olympics in the 90s, uh, Tanya Harding did something wrong to Nancy Kerrigan out of jealousy and spite. And then we had the Showtime Lakers versus the Celtics all throughout the 80s. Two of the greatest basketball players of all time battling against each other in the finals. Just a great rivalry there. And then we have Serena versus Venus Williams. Now, it's a little bit lopsided because Serena became a little bit better uh, tennis player than Venus. But at the beginning of their careers, they were always battling against each other. And Venus actually had Serena for a while until Serena pulled away. Then if you know anything about baseball, Red Sox and the Yankees, every time they get together, it's a brawl. Literally, they fight and the fans absolutely love it. And then I would say probably the greatest sports rivalry of all time, and that's coming from someone that lives in Ohio, is Michigan and Ohio State. Now, before you Michigan fans say anything about you winning the last two in a row, thank you for finally making it a rivalry. Because for a long time, after Ohio State winning 10 in a row, it kind of felt a little lopsided. I'm really hoping my best friend is in Florida today listening to me say this, because it is true. It's a rivalry now only because they've won the last couple. But, but what if I told you that even in sports... Or even in TV, as big as those rivalries are, it's not the greatest rivalry of all time. In fact, the greatest rivalry is not something that you watch on TV or you participate in. The greatest rivalry is actually something that you and I are going through together right now. That it's happening within us every single moment of every single day. The greatest rivalry is the battle. The battle between flesh and spirit. That there is a war happening within every one of our hearts. And for some of us, we're not happy with the outcome because a lot of times the flesh, which represents who we are, represents our selfishness, represents our own sinful desires, it continues to win out over the spirits leading in our lives. And what we want to look at today through the scriptures in the book of Galatians is Paul is going to give us instructions on how to live freely in such a way that every single moment of every single day, the Spirit can win the battle. And I want to look at that with you today. So turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, 16. I want to start in the first part of verse 16 here. So Paul, he begins by saying this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Other versions say, walk by the Spirit. That word guide or that word walk literally means to follow after. 
as if a disciple or a pupil were following after their teacher or their rabbi or their philosopher. Oftentimes, when students would learn from their teacher, they wouldn't just sit in a classroom like we do today. They would get up and walk around town, walk around the city, and they would be exchanging interactions with their teacher, with their philosopher. They would be listening. They would be gaining knowledge to become more like that person. And so when Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide you, he literally is saying, follow the Holy Spirit as he teaches you step-by-step instructions and directions on how to live the way of Jesus. That we follow his leading. And when we follow his leading, we follow his way. And when we follow his way, he leads us to where we need to be. Which the ultimate outcome of our lives and the ultimate destination is not to have our dreams come true, but it's to become like Jesus. And he's going to lead us in that way. We follow him. Paul says we do that because there's another option if you don't. He says do this, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What I love about this is Paul says, if you follow the Spirit's lead, he promises you to take you away from your cravings, your desires. You don't have to succumb to temptation. You don't have to do the things that your selfish nature wants to do if you follow the Spirit. It will literally lead you away. But the opposite is true too. If you don't follow the Spirit, then you will be dragged away or enticed away by your sinful desires. Paul is saying this, you can't do both, even though we think we can. Like a lot of times we segment, segment our relationship with Jesus where we kind of put Jesus in a box, then we put our other life in a box, and we open the Jesus box on Sunday morning, and then we go do everything else Monday through Saturday. And we kind of go this direction when we want something from God and then this direction when we don't. And Paul is saying you can't do both. And if you try to do both, you are going to choose yourself and your sinful desires 100% of the time. For example, and I know this sounds extreme, but tell me if this isn't true or not. You can't pray, follow the Spirit, and look at pornography at the same time. You just can't. Our sinful desires could lead us to do something we shouldn't, or it could lead us to pray, but you can't do both. And if you try to do both, I can guarantee you're going to land over here. You can't love people and care about people and forgive people and simultaneously live with bitterness and unforgiveness and anger at the same time. You will choose one or the other. You can't serve your spouse and submit to their desires even above your own and then also become abusive and aggressive or passive aggressive to your spouse at the same time. You can't do both. And Paul is saying that you have a choice in what you go through. And this choice is not easy. In fact, he's telling us right now what is happening within all of our hearts in this rivalry between the flesh and the spirit. He goes on in verse 17. He says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. 
Paul, he's talking about a war happening, a literal battle. And it's not fought on the battleground on the outside world. It's fought on the battleground of your heart. Every single moment of every single day, the spirit who wants you to follow him and your sinful desires, what it wants to follow and wants you to do is at war against each other. It's like if you've ever been in school, I used to do this where you had these strong magnets and you tried to put the magnets together. No matter how hard you did, you could never get them together. They were always going apart. That's what the spirit and the flesh do. They're always waging war. They're always moving in opposite direction. It is a fight. And what I love about Paul is that he's not saying this as some Christian who's arrived, who's better than us, to say, hey, you have a fight happening within you. You better allow the spirit to win it or you'll lose. He's not saying it as an expert. He's saying it as someone who's a fellow struggler. In a passage that we've looked at so many times, but I think truly shows what's really happening in the heart of all of us, is what Paul says to the Roman church in Romans 7. He says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me, which is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I, can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Doesn't that sound like real life? I mean, this is my life. This should be put on my tombstone someday. I want to do what is right, but I don't. And I don't want to do this, but I do. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Oh, thank God. There is an answer, and the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Do you see the back and forth? Do you see the war happening within? And thankfully, Paul says at the end of the day, so often the sin inside of me wins. And I don't like that. But I don't have to let it happen that way. There is a way to win the battle. And he said, thank God the answer is not within my power or my self-control, or I have to grit it out. It's found in Jesus. But, what I think Paul illustrates here, is even though you may be following Jesus, you still go through this battle. And sometimes we are losing the battle. And oftentimes we don't even know we are. So if this war is happening within and you're a Jesus follower, and yet you may be losing the battle, how can you tell? Because if we measure this battle by our intentions, we probably would all say we're doing a good job. We're intending to do good. We try to come to church on a regular basis. We are generous with our finances. We want to serve other people. We're praying. We're doing the things we ought to. So if we measure things by intentions, we're winning the battle. But Paul's going to tell us that you can't measure things by intentions. You measure them by facts, by evidence, by what we can see, by what we can know. 
And so here's what Paul says in the next few verses. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. He's saying this. If you want to know, if you're losing the battle, here are the results. Here is the evidence. Just look at this list and measure yourself against it. Here is the evidence of that. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. It should not say quarreling twice, but maybe it should in my definition of this passage. Quarreling and quarreling. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me talk about this last part. Living this life means you won't inherit the kingdom of God. When we read that and then we look at that list, we think, oh boy, I am in trouble. <laughs> because if I were to look at this list, I could probably check mark a lot of them that I struggle with. Does that mean I'm not going to go to heaven someday? And the answer is no. Remember, we don't get to heaven by our good intentions or if we're good or bad or if we check things off in a list. We go to heaven someday because of what Jesus has done for us. What Paul is saying here is, if you are giving yourself over to this kind of life, whatever this life is in the sinful nature, and you're not fighting against it, you're not repenting of it, you're not allowing the Spirit to convict you of these things, if you are just living this way and there's no prick in your conscience that it's wrong, then you need to ask yourself, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because even though we're never going to be perfect and we deal with these things, and I'll talk about that in a moment, we should be stumbling and falling down, but we get back up to follow the Spirit. Again, it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with these things. We just saw with Paul, he struggled. We struggle. But there's a difference of struggling and a difference of living it out in your whole life. If you're fighting, that's a sign that the fight is within, which means the Spirit is within, and he's fighting for you. But also about this passage that's interesting is when you look at a passage like this and you start to measure things by what you do or don't do, you start to focus on what you don't do and you start feeling good about yourself and then you start judging other people that do those things. Like for instance, I see up here like drunkenness, wild parties, um, sexual immorality. So if we take those three together, people that struggle with addiction, people that are uh, doing drugs and, and drinking and partying every weekend and, and living a sexual lifestyle that's not of the Bible, it is so easy for us to then look down on people that do that and say, wow, they are sinners. Thank God I'm winning the battle. But Paul says, don't forget, sin is not just acts also attitudes. And what he is saying is sexual morality, drunkenness, those things that are bad are not worse than jealousy, are not worse than anger, not worse than dissension and division. You may not be a wild partier, but you may be a gossip. Paul says, equal. You may be pure in your sexuality, but you struggle with anger. 
equal. And what Paul is saying is this. All of us are going to struggle with these things. But if you are struggling with these things, it's to wake us up of our complacency that too often we give in to our sinful nature and we become things and we do things that are the opposite of God's spirit. And it robs us of life. It hurts relationships. It hurts the world that we're living in when we live this way. And what Paul is doing, just like what we see in our car when our oil light comes on or engine light comes on, is look, I'm going to show you these things as an indicator that something is wrong. If you see these things continuing to pop up in your life, and yes, you're struggling with them, but you're just not really caring much about it, and yet you're fighting against it, but not really, Paul is saying you are losing the battle within your heart. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. And pretty quickly out of this, Paul takes us to Galatians 5.22. And he gives us another list or another set of evidences that shows us if we're truly living by the Spirit. If the Spirit is winning the battle within. And this is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just going to walk us through what these look like. Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. To love someone means to Love without, uh, with no strings attached. You gain nothing. Oftentimes it's undeserved love. That means you love people and you do things for people no matter what they do in return. It's not conditional where you're waiting for someone to love you and then you show them love. It's you're going to love no matter what people give back to you. You're going to love the way Jesus loves you. Where he pours out and pours out and pours out no matter what he gets back from us. Unconditional love. Joy, a delight in God for who he is, true joy is never based on circumstances. You know you have joy when life goes up and down or it changes every day, just like the weather report in Ohio. It's sometimes winter, sometimes spring, you know how that goes. No matter how things change in your life, your joy doesn't. Because it's not based on if you're going through good times or bad, it's based on who's in control. And you have joy knowing that God is on the throne and he's going to be in control no matter what the doctor says or no matter what the bank account says or no matter what the political climate is or no matter whatever happens, you have joy because God is in control. Jesus is on the throne. You have peace, confidence and rest that God's in control, not in our own. So often we are at peace when life is good, but when life isn't, we're not at peace. But to have peace is to know that God, no matter what, just like we saw in the previous fruit, you are in control so I can be at rest. We are not at rest when we're trying to control people, when we're trying to control the future. If you're going around and trying to control this and trying to control leadership and trying to control the church, trying to control family, trying to control your boss, trying to control this, I can guarantee you, you are not at peace. But if you can just kind of sit back and relax and say, God, you do whatever you need to do, then you're at rest. You're at peace. Patience. The ability to face trouble without blowing up, it should say, or striking out. You go through a situation. It doesn't turn out the way you want. So you really have three options. One, you blow up at other people. That doesn't mean you have to have an outburst of anger. It's also passive aggressiveness. And you all know, if you're a passive-aggressive person, what that means, you go cold. 
or you just get really hot if you're an aggressive person and just take it out on somebody else. Or when it means you strike out, it means that you feel like you beat yourself up internally. You may not take it out on somebody else, but you just feel like a failure. But patience is no matter what happens, I don't need to take it out on somebody else. I don't need to take it out on myself. I can rest assured that God is in control and his timing is perfect, and so I will wait for him. Kindness. Serving others in a way that makes me vulnerable. It is rejoicing in another's joy. When someone does something good in life, you are as excited about that as if it happened to you. And you want to treat them as such. You want to give them things, whether it's your treasure or your time or whatever it is, because you don't care if they give anything back to you. You just want to rejoice in somebody else. You want to show the love and kindness that people have shown you back to them. Goodness. Another word for goodness is integrity. Being the same person in every situation, not phony or hypocritical. The way I put it for me is I'm the same in this room as I am in my living room. I don't like that definition too much. <laughs> That's too much of a mirror that I don't like to see. Do I parent my kids the same in front of you as I would when you're not there? What I do on my phone at midnight is the same as if I would at nine in the morning with people around me in my workplace? The way I talk to people in secret is the same as I talk to them in public? Am I the same person consistently? Or is it based upon who I'm around? Or where I'm at? Or who I want to impress? Faithfulness, loyalty, true to your word, a friend in good times and bad. I read a great quote recently that says, you can tell if you have a good friend or you are a good friend when everybody leaves and at that moment, that person is entering. When you're going through something in life and everyone kind of abandons you, and that one person, is, as everyone's leaving, they're going in to be with you, that's what faithfulness is. That's what loyalty is. That's what we ought to give other people. When everyone else gives up on that person, here we come. Because we're with them no matter what. Gentleness, the opposite of being self-absorbed or superior. Thinking of others more than you think about yourself. This is humility. You don't look at people up here downward. You look at people underneath and you prop them up. You care more about them than you do about yourself. Just like Jesus did when he gave himself up for us. And then finally, the one that I just wish God would take away, but every time I read the Bible, it's still there. Self-control. The ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than to be impulsive or uncontrolled. This means having a salad when all you really want is a donut. <laughs> You want to say, I want to look at the long-term effects of this, not just the easy sugar high. Self-control. What's interesting is Paul goes through this list and then he ends with this. There's no law against these things. And what Paul means by that is this. When you are living by the law, you can try to manipulate God into doing what you think he should do. And in doing so, you think you can control the outcome of that. But Paul says you can't do that by the Spirit's leading. You give yourself to the Spirit. You cannot produce fruit on your own. But when you're connected to the Spirit and you're following Him, He will produce the fruit in your life for you. You can't manufacture it, but it will come naturally because you're connected to the life source itself.
Now, I want to explain two things when it comes to fruit that I really want you to hear me on. The first is this. Healthy fruit comes from deep roots. Like I said before, you cannot manufacture fruit. If you wanted to have apples come from an apple tree, you can't just take, take tape and tape apples on a tree and says, there's an apple tree, because eventually it's going to die. The only way that you get fruit is if the tree is being um, rooted in deep roots and it's taken care of and it's watered and there's good soil and then eventually it grows and there's fruit that comes. But it's what we're, we're in that matters the most. That's why if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit, you can't manufacture self-control. You can't manufacture peace. You can't manufacture love. You can't earn it. You can't do it. It can only come if you're connected to Jesus and you know who you are in him. And when you know that you are who he says you are in him, you grow deeper and deeper and you believe it. And all of a sudden you start to see this fruit come in your life. That's why you have to know that in Christ you are righteous. That in Christ you are chosen. That in Christ you are loved and forgiven. In Christ you are an overcomer. When you start to see that's who you are in Jesus, he starts to win the battle of your heart. And he wins the battle of the heart. That list that we looked at first, it starts to dwindle. And then this list, the fruit of the Spirit, starts to show up in your lives. And not only is it tasty for yourself, it's really tasty for those in your life as well. Because they're plucking fruit from your life. And they're nourished by that. But you just can't do it because... You want to will fruit, just like a tree can't will it. It has to be rooted. And then the second thing is this. Fruit, Paul says, is singular. And then he gives the plural list. Have you ever noticed it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's kind of like you look at a diamond. There's one diamond, but there's different facets of a diamond. The fruit, with the fruits are different facets of Christ's likeness. It's one fruit, just different angles of what it means to follow Jesus and look like Jesus. Which means this. You can't say that you have joy, but you struggle with self-control. You either have joy and self-control because you have the other ones, or you have neither. And this is what is scary you could be around me all the time and think, man, Eric's a joy-filled person. And I can tell you this, I can fake it. I can make myself look joyful because I'm an extrovert and I like being around people. But ask my wife and kids if I truly am joy-filled. Measure it against my self-control and my love and my peace and my kindness and my goodness. You have one, you have them all. Or you have none. And so we need to be connected to Jesus so that we can be all of those things, so he can produce all of those things in our lives. And Paul, he ends this passage this way, which is so beautiful, reminding us how we can make sure that he can win the battle within our hearts. I'll end with these words. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There's a passive and an active experience happening simultaneously. The passive part is this. Jesus nails 
our old life, our sinful nature to the cross, it can be dead just like he was on the cross. Then through the resurrection, he gives us life, meaning life through the spirit, where we can live according to his purposes and look like Jesus and bear the fruit of the spirit. But that's a passive thing that Jesus does. The active thing is we continue to live by. That live by word is walk, but it's a different word than we talked about originally. That word walk literally means a metaphor for lining up in a military order and going by the cadence of the leader. Left, 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 right, left. You are marching in unison in order to get where you need to go. And if you don't march in unison, you mess up everything. And so if the Spirit says left, 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 right, left, and you are in spirit, in, in, in unison with him, you are living by the Spirit, he will defeat the sinful nature in our lives every moment of every day and look out because your tree, your life, will be full of fruit that will nourish the lives of others. Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray for those in this room who just feel discouraged that they're giving in to the sinful nature. God, you tell us the reason we give in is because we are not following you. There is no either or there. It's if we're doing this, then we won't do this. Connect this to your spirit in such a way where all the other things that we do lose its luster and its appetite compared to the appetite that we get through the fruit of the spirit as we are nourished by you and other people are nourished by it in our lives. Give us a new vision for our lives to live and walk with you every moment of every day so that we can have victory over the greatest rivalry ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.